Hey, 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 welcome to Crime Stories of Pakistan. I'm your host, Jehan, and as always, I'm here to provide you true crime cases centered in Pakistan. So today's episode is different from the usual cases that I have covered in the past. Firstly, it's about a religious saint. I'm keeping all my personal opinions and judgments to like the bare minimum. This podcast is not about raising judgments, but about creating awareness, sharing crime cases that stem from Pakistan. So I've tried to focus on that aim. Secondly, this episode talks about the possibility of this religious saint being involved in what he was. And it can't be confirmed, but you can't even deny it. Keeping that aspect in mind, this episode is open for my listeners to hear it out and make a judgment on their own about whether the allegations made here are true or not. So this case, it was unknown to me. I mean, I did hear about it, but it was only once I started researching that I realized how it has really been the focal point of the media for a few years, just like everything else, which gains focus. After a while, the media moved on to the next big news so i just want to make a note here i do love diving into the background and the childhood of the accusers but unfortunately when you're dealing with cases from pakistan the documentation and the information that is provided about the accusers is so scarce that it makes it very very hard to definitely give you a reason behind the possible reason of why an accuser does what they do. It would be easier to cover cases which are from other countries where there are full-fledged documents and articles centered around everything related to the accuser but again i feel that i started this podcast because there wasn't a lot of awareness into crimes of pakistan although there is this scarcity that i have to deal with when i'm researching i try my best to paint the best picture for my listeners and then it's really up to you to kind of join the dots Keeping that goal in mind and knowing that we're dealing with cases in Pakistan where it really takes a lot to research and put everything together. So I hope that with this particular case, I have done enough research for you guys. So let's talk about Shah Dullah. He was born in the second half of the 16th century in Baghdad. There were a couple of theories around his childhood. He was sold to a Hindu couple as a slave, probably, after his parents died. He spent his time with this Hindu couple devoted to serving them. And they were so happy with how he was with them that they eventually set him free. In another theory, it stated that a distant relative of his, an uncle called Ali Nakhvi, he sold Shadullah to a Hindu couple who were unable to have kids presumably they were not good to him they would beat him and torture him day and night shadullah would 
pray for his freedom and i guess this is where it becomes apparent that he has a sort of gift there is some spiritual inclination within him which makes him stand out so while he was in you know the presence of this hindu couple he informed the wife that his, uh, that her sister was going to come visit the same evening and she brushed it off and said you know i haven't met my sister in years and I have no idea where she is i don't know what you're talking about i don't know who's given you this information but and surprisingly later in the day her sister actually appeared out of nowhere so i think this particular incident that happened it made him probably also kind of see that there is something in him this power in him as i had mentioned that shadullah would pray for his freedom from this couple who were not treating him right eventually what happened was somehow the government was informed that a muslim boy was being kept as a slave by a hindu couple so the police was involved or authorities were involved they came into the hindu couple's house found the boy they set him free so again these are just theories of how his childhood was i feel that his time and his experience with this particular couple started his his career at, on the spiritual path and i also believe there's something probably that happened here which led to what he eventually ended up doing once he was free he left for sialkot he met an elder over there who was a practicing sufi he became his apprentice sufism is a mystical islamic belief and practice in which muslims seek to find the truth of divine love and knowledge through direct personal experience of god when you practice sufism it helps muslims attain nearness to allah to god here is where this spirituality that he already had within him it was trained and practiced and the aspect of sufism and being the apprentice of like this elderly sufi saint it all just accumulated it was from this time that he started to gain his name as a religious saint there are a lot of stories about shadullah with when i was doing the research there were so many stories that came up which talk about how knowledgeable he was and how pious he was and how he had the power to make things happen for you people would say that all you had to do was come and share your worries and ask him to pray for you whatever he had like within him whatever this connection was the spiritual aspect of him it was so intense that he knew things that no one else could know whatever you prayed for happened if you asked him to pray for you it was pretty interesting to hear how all of the videos that i went through you know just to like research about what are these stories associated to shadullah they all spoke about him with an aspect of just him having a divine power one of the incident that was mentioned was how there was a villager who came to 
Shadullah and asked him about the wellness of his brother. He had told Shadullah that he, you know, hasn't heard from his brother and his brother lives in another village and he was scared. He had a feeling like his brother had passed away. And this is at a time where correspondence took days, weeks. And even if you had to travel from one place to another, it, the travel itself was a journey. When the villager asked him about the brother, Shadullah replied saying that his brother is traveling and that he will reach the village they resided in by the evening of the following day. That's exactly what happened. The next day, there stood the villager's brother. And when the villagers around asked, how did you know about the brother? Like, you had no clue about who this villager was, who his brother was, what he looked like, what he did. You didn't even know where he resided. You didn't even ask any questions like that. How did you know that his brother is going to be standing in front of him the next day? Shadullah replied by saying that he was the messenger of God and all the knowledge he shares is basically God's word. Just need to stress, this is one of many incidents it's pretty clear that there is some sort of spiritual power, spiritual knowledge that the ordinary person doesn't possess, which is in Shadullah. So eventually, once his practice with the Sufi saint were fulfilled, he eventually left for Gujarat and he settled there. Again, this was like way before Pakistan and India declared independence. It is said when he settled down in Gujarat, he started building his shrine. So he thought that it was necessary because by this time, he was attached to a lot of well-known spiritual saints and religious saints that he was, you know, working side by side and working under. A lot of people within the village, within neighboring villages also were aware of Shadullah and the power that he had within him. His name really spread. So he thought it was necessary to build a shrine for his followers, for his devotees to come and visit him. It is also said that he's been accredited to constructing various buildings like bridges. He did a lot of charitable work. He was involved in teachings and counseling sessions. He would, you know, go around the surrounding areas of Gujarat. There's a lot of emphasis of religious preachings. But if you look at like, you know, just like any other country, Pakistan too has numerous historical sites that preserve the shrines of religious saints. And these sites could be a tomb, a fort, a shrine, a museum, a mausoleum. When the religious saint was alive, a large number of devotees would come and pay their respects to the saint in the shrine or in, or in that particular area which was devoted to them. But it was believed that even after that religious saint died, he would be buried in that shrine or in that place. His devotees would, despite him being dead, would still come and visit him and pray for him and still pray to him because they believed that by doing so, 
their wishes would be fulfilled because they didn't because they don't actually believe it just because that religious saint is dead his power finishes you know he has this connection with god it is spiritual it goes beyond this world so shrines are set up so that devotees can come and still pray to that particular religious saint you know the way you would go to a grave of a loved one and spread flowers or light a candle just in their memory people do that and they pray for him and how this image of him is set so like it's engraved so distinctively in his followers that even when there were things said about him which i you will come to hear people protected his name protected his image and kept reminding everyone about all the goodness and piousness and charitable work he has done throughout his life it is said that during this time shadulla was known to have cared for wild creatures usually wild animals and birds in particular there was a report that stated that he would place like clay helmets on or like head coverings made of clay on his most favorite animals i mean that's disturbing in itself i mean to take it a step further he had um he had this like inclination like this fascination towards mentally disabled children i don't know how it started you know shrines are considered like a house of god the religious saints that are attached to that shrine are considered to be you know the messengers of god the most pious ones the ones who have like this power within them which connects which where god is connected to them and they are connected to you on the shrine of shadulla there used to be uh, young children toddlers left on the steps of his shrine every once in a while and it's not like this is not particular to just pakistan i mean you can you'll hear cases about how parents who are poor who cannot look after their child they leave their toddler or their baby on the steps of a church or a step of a hindu temple so it's not like this it's not odd specifically a lot of mentally disabled children would be left on his shrine steps he would take them in obviously because he was known to be a very charitable person but he would take these children in and he would look after them but once they reached the age of walking and talking the deal was that they would have to beg in order to stay every time you visited the shrine you would see children of all ages holding bowls in their hands asking for money and it was probably his way of you know keeping the shrine afloat because such places also need to be maintained just to add in a in a little more you know a little more context to his spiritual power There was an incident that happened. He was approached by a couple who, let's just say, this is a very well-known, related to royalty, that kind of couple. 
who had asked him about the gender of their firstborn and this was a hindu couple and in their tradition at the time especially if you were a part of the royal family the firstborn if it wasn't a son the newborn girl would be killed because they believed that obviously you know the son is the heir to the future and it was a bad omen to have the firstborn being a girl and i'm not throwing any shade no judgment just telling you as it is so the couple said um that we need to know you know our tradition we you know that if it is a a daughter then you know as per our tradition we would have to kill her so we want to know the gender of our firstborn beforehand it's not the first time they're meeting shadula this is not their first interaction obviously so shadula told them that their firstborn in fact would be a daughter but he advised them not to follow the tradition and to raise her just like they would raise their son and she will bring a lot of luck to the family lo and behold a daughter was born again it's like this just makes me think how did he know how did he know but a daughter was born the father of the child said i do not believe that shadulla would give me advice which is wrong i have always trusted his judgment and even though this is a big leap of faith i am going to trust that shadulla knows what is best for us they protected her and they raised her like they would if it was a son and she grew up and married the 6th emperor of the mogul empire who was the son of shah jahan aurangzeb this is a true story okay this girl was none other than aurangzeb's second wife nawab bai and the name bai was given by shadulla because when she was born they took her to shadulla and they and they asked him okay now what do we do and he read on her and he said name her bai she is going to marry into royalty Nawabai was a Hindu princess who married Aurangzeb in 1638 for political convenience. So clearly you can see how influential Shadula was, how well connected he was, how he had a reputation of working with royalty and it just reconfirmed, you know, the normal man about his reach and his power as a religious saint. Shadula he was mainly known to help women seeking a cure for infertility. They would hope that you know the holy man would pray for them and that they would be blessed with a child. But it wasn't that simple obviously. It's not like they came and prayed to him and he said, "Okay, don't worry, I'll bless you." That's about it. No. No. His um so you know like you offer something or the other in return. So it's a very disturbing exchange. It is said that in order for shadulla to help this couple in return they would have to donate their first born to him it is believed that if the couple did not do that the subsequent children would be born with deformities even if they did not donate their first born in the years that come that child would find their way to the shrine 
of Shahdullah. We already know about <clears throat> his influence and power. And many couples, they, not many, all, all of them, all of them who went to him and prayed for a child, they agreed. And I think what probably also played a major role in them agreeing, apart from, you know, him being uh, well-known and, you know, being powerful and having influence up till the royal family was, you know, remember the kids who were disabled, which were left at the steps of his shrine? They were obviously seen around the vicinity of the shrine from the time you entered till the time you left. Maybe that added an element of fear in the parents. They really did believe that he had the power to bless them with normal children. Once the couple donated their firstborn to the shrine, this is where it becomes disturbing. So trigger warning. The child was made to wear an iron band on their head. And the goal of this iron band was in order to prevent the growth of their cranium. So this iron band it was worn from the time that the child was given to the shrine till the child reached 15 to 20 years of age what resulted of having that iron band on their head for 15 to 20 years was that their body developed normally but their heads were smaller because obviously the iron band contained the growth of their head and people started calling these children Shadullah ke chuhe. Chuhe translated means rats. The rats of Shadullah. So I need to mention a term over here. Microcephaly. It is a rare neurological disorder. And this disorder leaves children characterized by abnormally small heads, round jaws, and disfigured foreheads. And due to this, they suffer from impaired brain development. Children with microcephaly might have behavior like hyperactivity, agitation, or even aggression. They might also have a poor appetite. And they may also suffer from other medical conditions, including seizures. So remember he had like a fascination with animals, wild animals. He would place clay helmets, clay bands over the animal heads. So I can't definitely say, obviously, but I feel that this, I don't know, this sense of like having the power to create the rats of Shah Dullah started from him experimenting first with animals. That's my opinion. But I also feel that, you know, he had a fascination with disabled children. You know, he just wanted his shrine to be like swamped with children that looked and were disabled initially there were disabled children that were left at the shrine but maybe that stopped maybe the number of children left decreased in order for him to kind of make a deal with the parents to donate their firstborns he needed to create an atmosphere where he had you know these disabled children around his shrine and within his shrine just to i don't know maybe to convince them i don't know i i do not understand what his thinking was but definitely this infatuation this this fascination this this inkling towards disabled children led him to come up to this plan of placing an iron band over innocent innocent children and impairing their development 
just so that it suits him and this image and reputation that he has. It's disgusting. It is so disgusting. Unfortunately, it was the children that were donated that went through that. When they reached a certain age, the iron band was removed and in one of the pictures and the video that I was researching, you know, the iron band had left such, you know, when you have a cut that's very, very deep, one of the girls in the shrine, like, you know, there was a scar left from probably the iron band. Like, I can't even imagine how, how tightly they must have shut the iron band to really constrain the development of the head. And we know that when you are a newborn, the biggest part of your body is your head. So imagine having this iron band over your head for 20 years. And it's because their faces look very, I don't even know how, man. But because the faces looked like rats, that's why they were called the chuhe of Shadullah. And then they were draped in green cloaks, like these long green cloaks. And they were given bowls. And they were forced to beg inside the shrine and around the shrine. And it was very well known to those who came to visit the shrine to meet Shadullah. And even years later after he died, everybody knew that if you do not fill their bowl with cash or coins, or if you would ignore their begging pleas, it's like you're inviting doom upon yourself. Again, I obviously I'm speculating here, but it seems like he used, you know, the rats of Shadullah, the, the rat children that he created, as an element to create fear in the couples who did come to him to pray. Because if you really look at it, no parent in their right mind who have not been able to have kids would in just give up their firstborn after being childless for years. But the very fact that he had these rat-like children around the shrine, it just added like an element of, you know, evidence that if they didn't fulfill the request that Shadullah asked, then they're basically seeing the future of their child. It was, you know, it just seems like such a sick and twisted and manipulative tactic to aid, you know, in this fascination, this disgusting fascination that he had. And obviously, once the child was donated, the parents obviously could not visit the child. And the children were given no education, and they were just left at the hands of the shrine's administration. Somewhere in the research, there was an article that stated that, you know, these children have a shorter lifespan. You know, if you were a regular visit visitor of the shrine, you would see specific children who were, you know, put through this horrendous ordeal. And then suddenly you would see them just missing. 
like they would stop being around the area of the shrine or the vicinity of the shrine and apparently there was a room within the shrine where obviously it wasn't for public access and these children were kept there in that room until they died so sick it is so sick it is really sick so when the british ruled india pre-india pakistan this practice was prevalent that this practice was being taken place it was called out and banned heavy punishments were attached to anyone practicing this vile act but it is said that this practice um, was still being done but very discreetly then in 1947 pakistan and india separated trying happened to fall under pakistan's region in the most recent articles and videos that are pro shadullah it is said that this practice it may have happened back in the day when you know india and pakistan were were one but as of right now being under pakistan government and the rule of pakistan and sharia law and all that it doesn't happen anymore this but obviously people still come and visit the shrine they pay their respects but a lot of emphasis was given on the fact that this practice ended after pakistan was established i want to talk a little bit about the shrine we know that the shrine still exists obviously there's a roundabout that takes you to the road of the shrine which is called the shahdullah chowk roundabout it's a road named after him imagine his influence So the second you turn into that particular road you'll see numerous of shops that have flowers and cloth pieces with religious writings on it jewelry food items his shrine now consists of a tomb of uh, where he was buried and of his wife as well but i just wanted to say that shahdullah is known as hazrat shahdullah and hazrat translates to prophet and prophet in islam are known as messengers of allah so imagine the level of respect he's given he even has his own chowk now you're at like the gate the main gate of the shrine then there's a pathway that leads you to a second gate this pathway too is uh, lined with shops because this is now inside the shrine it's the outer courtyard i'm going to have pictures up on the website crime stories of pakistan at blogspot.com so if you want to see pictures of his shrine make sure to check out his pictures there yeah so there's a pathway lined with shops this is uh, the outer courtyard and then there is a pathway going to a second gate and this now when you enter the second gate food shops vendors all of that they're all now in the previous courtyard in the outer courtyard you enter the inner courtyard of the shrine and this particular gate leads you to a doorway which marks then the entrance of the shrine the official entrance of the shrine and once you enter that you come into the main room which has the tomb of shahdullah his tomb is there and if you look up it's like it's beautifully crafted with mirror 
in a mosaic style it's very very pretty just uh, it's very simple from outside i want to mention an official website called la kutub it stated that quote shadula was a saint belonging from seher wardi school of thought from aurangzeb's era and the local people claim that shadula was a friend of allah and he never took children from people rather his spiritual powers gave children to many infertile couples coming to him unquote i'm also going to read an uh, a little bit that an article stated about him and then you know again i'm just adding as much as i can so that you can make whatever judgment you need to so quote the shrine of hazrat shahdullah in the land of gujarat is more famous from aurangzeb alamgir conferred by the present government the name of hazrat shahdullah is considered in the saint of punjab i haven't changed any grammatical forms i'm reading it as is hazrat shahdullah kept himself busy preaching islam along with this he also helped the needy and poor he was a great constructor at the time he built many places but most of them had destroyed he spoke punjabi to talk to his followers but it's god gifted that hazrat can understand the request of his followers in their own language and reply them same even he talked to animals and birds he wore simple dress and cap on his head he did not like the feel of carpets so he always lay on the floor his face was beautiful clean and he had colored eyes okay hazrat shahdulla married hazrat bibi hanifa and she gave birth to a son after the death of hazrat shahdulla his son continued the social and cultural traditions of his father unquote A video was made in 2021 showing a civilian who traveled to Gujarat to answer the question of whether Shahdulla's shrine has rat children or not. He stated that before independence it could have been so, but since Pakistan became independent there seems to be no evidence of this. You will still see children begging, but he talked to one of the administrators there and the administrator claims that these children were kidnapped by the mafia which was for begging and they left them around the shrine to make it appear as they were a part of the shrine he also goes on to say that there are no children that are left at the steps of the shrine anymore nor are there any parents being asked to give their first bonds he said that these are pure lies he goes on to say that he does go on to say that what you see is a neurological disorder if you do see children like that but according to psychology and scientifically that we do have children who are born with mental disorders like he was very well educated in that aspect so i'm not going to like take away from that but there was a lot of emphasis on all of this is lies 
there's no such thing as rat children we all what are you guys talking about you know we all know that what you call as rat children is actually mentally disabled children it happens because of disorders it happens during pregnancy basically the scientific aspect of it he was like clear about it like he had research let me tell you he goes on to say that no parent would part with their child as far as disabled children goes god has made them that way no one from the shrine is responsible or has the power to create such children the person who is a civilian who is making the video he goes on to say that um you know i have searched the shrine's grounds from head to toe and i did not find the room where apparently these rat children were left to die nor have i like found any proof of any iron bands that were being used i'm just like okay he's like really making it a point to prove that this is lies that this is um these are malicious rumors and shadullah was a saint he was a religious man and we should be thanking him and paying respect to him for everything that he has done for you know his people and even till date the power that he holds and all that but let me tell you that children which they call rat children can still be seen in the vicinity inside and around shadullah shrine if what this administrator is saying is true how would you explain that how would you explain that how okay one case i can understand one case i would be like okay makes sense why okay how can you explain a number of children aka rat children on the grounds of the shrine yeah and i'm not even going to start on how these children were probably treated and you know what i'm going to be really real here there's a level of frustration in pakistani men which is disgustingly high and i have never heard of any country having daily rape and sexual assault cases the way it is in pakistan like you i cannot i will not share the stats and i really really was close to researching about the treatment of these rat children but you know what that would have made this episode so controversial because anyway we're talking about hazrat shadullah so i have to protect myself as well obviously but let me tell you with guarantee that sa is definitely prevalent with these children too like i don't think shadullah's fascination with mentally disabled children was to help them in any such way yes i'm making a big accusation there but i really do believe it i do it was working with the vulnerable the ones who can't speak the ones who can't speak their truth and say what has happened to them or how they're treated i think that plays a major factor in him being fascinated with such children and i think the fact that he was treated so poorly by that hindu couple who couldn't have kids it's so like it it makes me think right it makes me wonder that 
isn't it funny how this power that he has gives him the power and the control to give an infertile couple a child? So he's taking that control back. That control that he didn't have when he was a young kid, when he was with the Hindu couple. And I don't know how he was treated there, but I definitely feel some sort of correlation to that and to how he was treated and to what his spiritual power was focused upon. I really don't know how to feel about this case. I, I really don't know. I mean, a pious narcissist who claims to be connected to God, who took firstborns from hopeless couples, who saw him as a ray of light to aid in them starting a family, and then to take those children and place them in iron helmets for 15 years so that they may have smaller heads, so that not only does it change their physical appearance, but also it would have a tremendous impact on their emotional and mental growth. So you're taking normal children and creating situations where they become vulnerable and they become vulnerable and become at the hands to serve you and obviously having an impairment in your brain results in not being able to speak or not being able to talk or not being able to verbally state things that have happened to you or are happening to you or ill treatment that is happening to you or ill treatment that's happening around you so what a way to like gain your power and what a way to like showcase your power and what a way to take it out on the most vulnerable that idea is supposed to be saint worthy that should be respected and praised one of his uh, rat children were featured in an article in 2018 and her name was Nadia and there was always an administrator a member of the administration with this child always so they can't speak and even if they could speak they can't speak like how you and I can speak because they have been put in a situation where their brain did not develop like ours you know it's just such a it's such a twisted situation if you if you let it sink in if you connect the dots it should make you wonder Shadula, was he pious or was he just devious? What do you think? Leave your thoughts about this in the comments below. And I would love to hear what my listeners think about this case. Is it a myth or a fact? We still have rat children in the shrine to date. You decide. Thank you for joining me on Crime Stories of Pakistan. Your comments, reviews, and suggestions are appreciated. Stay vigilant, stay compassionate, but stay curious. This is your host, Jihan, signing off. See you in the next episode.